0: The Interchange is brought to you by Schneider Electric. Did you know that we've built more microgrids in the U.S. than anyone else? These self-contained electrical networks allow you to generate your own electricity on-site and use it when you need it most. Keep your power on during a grid outage. Store electricity and sell it back during peak demand times. Integrate with renewables such as wind and solar. With a microgrid, you get energy control on your terms. See what's possible at www.se.com backslash us backslash microgrid.
1: So this generation is kind of wrestling with what is a really meaty problem. System operators, ISOs, RTOs, they have to work out how they're going to be able to manage a network in that kind of energy transition without literally billions and billions of dollars being passed down to consumers like you and I and everybody else.
0: This is The Interchange, Recharged, I'm David Banmiller. Power grids across the world are under huge strain as communities and businesses struggle to keep up with costs and the unreliability of an aging infrastructure. We're seeing it now in the UK as the national grid warns of planned blackouts throughout the country if they don't import electricity and increase gas imports. And even closer to home, as ERCOT prepares for the winter with an unreliable grid, we're looking at a bleak few months. So what can be done? On this episode, I'm joined by Wayne Muncaster, Senior Vice President of Grid Beyond in North America. Grid Beyond is a leading global technology company that is focused on providing industrial customers with real-time solutions to manage the energy system of tomorrow. Listen in as we discuss the challenges that arise from an aging grid, the uncertainty around energy security, and look at the price we are willing to pay to move forward in the energy transition. Hi, Wayne. Welcome to the show. Hey, David. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. So Grid Beyond, why don't you tell us a little bit
1: about it? We started in Dublin, Ireland in 2010, started as a, as a, a an industrial automation company. So we started helping businesses um, um, automate their industrial processes, generally refrigeration loads for, for energy efficiency purposes. And we kind of started by two engineers, one a power system control engineer, and one a software engineer, and kind of fell into, into demand management through that back door, in effect. So we were controlling industrial loads. Um, obviously talking to, to, to grid operators back in ireland as a, there was an opportunity to monetize that control and that flexibility that we were providing and so we got involved in demand response or demand management um through that back door and from there we grew into the uk in two thousand and twelve got involved there with them um, we'll come on to this later in the conversation i think but the UK and, and, to a degree, the Irish markets really struggling with frequency management. Lots of intermittency in generation assets. Uh, lots of uh, renewables coming onto the system, and it was creating all sorts of quite urgent problems in terms of managing frequency for for those island networks. You know, there's there's no large scale network to manage inertia. So we're going to in some very fast acting services um, down into ten seconds, two seconds, and now even sub second response on industrial assets. Um, What we basically do is is help those industrial commercial customers, those asset owners, whatever it is, manage the energy transition. And that could be everything from resiliency, integration of battery storage, if that's what they need to do, integration of of distributed assets, gas assets for for either resiliency or peaking purposes. Um, But what's common in everything that we do is helping people manage their their energy assets to keep their costs low and keep the lights on
0: so you uh you're in the uk where else have you expanded since then a good question so
1: um ireland uk was 2012. Uh, we came over to the states in 2020 actually two months before the pandemic lockdown which in hindsight will be some kind of mba course in the future i'm sure there's a when not to launch an international business but um we came over in 2020 just before the pandemic to the us we're now operational with offices in japan and australia too
0: Great. And so what are you finding, uh, is most interesting to your client base? I mean, what are they focused most on? So if you think we split the
1: client base down,
0: industrial commercial customers, they're, they're
1: all in fact, anybody in the energy, looking at energy is interested in three things, right? That's that's how can I keep my costs low or mitigate rising energy costs? And that's impacting everybody around the world right now. How can I keep the lights on? How can I make sure that I, that I have power when I need power? And you put those two together in the energy markets, you know, people see that they're paying more for a poorer quality service. We're getting more outages, we're getting more power cuts, we're getting more system issues and prices are going up. It's never a good thing for any industry to be in. So, And it it, it differs around different markets in the world. Sustainability will be the next thing. So how can I do both of those first two and be more sustainable and meet the requirements of say the policy in some jurisdictions or, or the, the, the demands of my funders and, and investors?
0: And are you finding many these days are willing to pay an incremental cost for the renewable feature or is it really focused on the lower cost and and efficiency and then as an added benefit if they can get more renewables in there that helps
1: so most, most companies want both obviously they, they want their cake to be able to eat it so they want cheap energy and they want it to be green and renewable doesn't always go together as as, as we know um but we find a lot of the consumer facing brands are, are willing to probably pay a premium they're looking at kind of ppa arrangements where they're taking you know either direct or indirect renewable power renewable energy they're investing in the assets on site potentially so the more the more consumer facing an organisation you know the, the, the anything linked to kind of retail and, and 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 consumer brands we see that they're willing potentially to pay a premium for that the majority of our industrial customers and, and 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 those businesses are are much more focused on cost
0: and what are some of the challenges that that you're seeing as it relates to the broader energy transition and the grid I think that's a, that's
1: a really good question, and, and and some of these some of these opinions are my own rather than grid beyonds. But 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 my view here is right that 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 we are in a transition. We're not in a revolution here. We're not we're not suddenly going to change the world. The the markets that we all operate in have assets on there that can help mitigate the problem. Those assets could be demand load, which is flexible at particular times. Doesn't always have to be on can be changed, can be can be turned down or even turned off at certain times, put um, your know, production or, or even in our own homes. We can do things at a different time to help the issue. But there is there is huge amounts of latent flexibility in the energy system that is just not tapped into. You know, We take energy for granted, come back to that theme in, in, in a while. If we look at beyond the load in, in terms of the assets that we've got, if you were to just look at the amount of natural gas distributed generation that's on the system and is unused, is there for any, your emergency purposes. Tested once a month, sometimes mainly, sometimes probably once a year. There's huge potential in tapping into those kind of resources and, and 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 both helping the system itself, keeping prices low, and helping the people that own those assets to make the most. And then, if you look at the new assets that are coming on, you know, investment in renewables and and battery storage, then they can play a part too. So, I think in terms of understanding. The assets that you have, they're assets, and like any asset, they need to be utilized. They need to be monetized and, and, and optimized, and that can that can provide real benefits to their owners, but then also to the wider system, to the wider network, and to the wider community in terms of helping keep those systems in balance.
0: And how big of a factor do you see energy storage, uh, batteries, uh, going forward as it relates to the grid? So if you look at
1: if you look at the uh, two things really, if you look at the proliferation of of, of renewables, if you look at the kind of your Texas uh, in terms of the wind and, and now we've got solar coming through, obviously, California and solar, the the, the UK markets and the island markets were, were kind of really early adopters of substantial renewable resources. The more of those resources that come on stream, the more of a role that battery storage can play in, in, in two ways. So it helps bridge the gap on arbitrage. So the sun doesn't always shine exactly when we need peak power. The wind doesn't always blow exactly when we, we need peak power. The wind blows a lot overnight when we're all in bed and asleep and manufacturing is kind of lower and demand is very low. We either curtail or we use battery storage to arbitrage and shift that generation to when it's actually required. So, so that's one way that batteries can play a, a need to play a bigger part, I guess, in balancing that system. And the other way that batteries can play here is in that, is in that management of that intermittency. So the more renewables that we have on the system, the greater that the intermittency, the lower the inertia. So imagine that kind of sine curve. I know you know this, David, right? But in terms of the, you know, a gas generator, for example, would provide a really smooth flow of, of, of power. It's regulated up and down in kind of really quite smooth waves. You imagine what that curve looks like for, say, a solar yield solar array or, or a wind turbine. It's much spikier. It's much more intermittent. You get much greater deviations and they're much closer together. So managing that from a, from a system perspective requires systems that can act really, really quickly, sometimes in less than a second to a, to, a, to a large drop in solar generation, for example. So batteries play a part in those really fast acting services. So they kind of play an, an essential role. We carry on rolling out more and more renewables then we need more batteries to, to, to balance the system in those two ways.
0: And how do you work with your client base to help them save their money and create revenue opportunities? I mean, what specifically are you working with them on and do you focus on? So there are two main areas that we look at. So we look
1: at ancillary services or, or helping helping the system operators, the ISOs, the RTOs, the utilities balance the physically balance the system. So um, you know, if generation goes down, you would take URI, for example, there is a great need and an increasing need for, for ancillary services, for, for generators, for, for demand load, for batteries on the system to, to participate in those programs and that could earn clients' money. So you you're kind of got a net effect where you're reducing your cost of energy by participating in, in revenue from participating in, 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 in ISO programs. The other side of which is becoming increasingly prevalent um, in all markets, but but you know, Ircon in Texas where we are is, is, is a really good example, is on energy price. So the more volatile that energy becomes, the higher price that energy becomes, that the less we'll see those, you know, in Texas, we benefited from, from really low price, long-term energy contracts for very many years. We're seeing 80, 100, 120% increases in commodity cost for fixed price renewals right now, even in Texas, which is one of the lowest price markets in the world. So that price volatility has an impact. So those four and a half thousand dollar prices in Texas that we see eventually they get fed through to to you and I and every other consumer in Texas. And that means that we all pay more for our energy. You know, my, my home renewal went from 11 and a half cents to 19 cents this year. And that, and and that's just indicative of kind of where we are. So in terms of helping to to manage that price mitigation, um, we can either help a retailer offer lower price um, products to their customers by managing the volatility, or we can go to the customer themselves and, and help them manage an index position in market where we say, look, if you never want to pay, any more than 150 bucks a megawatt hour what we can do is we can put a system in place that says every time it gets to 150 bucks we could tell you or we slow down operations or we turn off non-essential load and we keep your prices as low as possible so it's the same principles it's just the reason you're either doing it on a a trigger from an iso because of a grid emergency or you're doing it on a trigger from the energy market on a price that
0: the customer doesn't want to pay and you're able to identify maybe those non-core areas that once it gets above that $100 $100 you said, that you're able to identify the ones that actually you can't curtail? Yeah. So if
1: you go back to to, to our kind of history, the reason we talk about our, our engineering heritage is it's all very well understanding the markets and having your foresight on prices and be able to forecast it, which not everybody can do. But the reality is here is you have to understand what that means to a customer um, and what that means to an industrial commercial user and how they can participate. If you walk into any business in America and say, hey, what what flexible loads do you have? They'd look at you like you're crazy, right? Well, None of it's flexible because, because I, you know, I make steel, um, it's not flexible. <laughs> um, but having an engineering understanding, and we employ our own engineers that will kind of design a, a system with those clients. So they'll go in, they'll ask questions about um, you know what's critical, what's non-critical loads, what they would do, for example, in a maintenance shutdown, uh, what they do at kind of shift changes. So they're looking at, and then we look at consumption data to see patterns, to see where we see drops in load. All of that kind of added together helps us talk to a client about understanding which bits of their operation are less critical than the others, right? Which bits they could turn down and potentially the financial impact is either going to be zero or is going to be less than the value that they'll earn in the marketplace. Refrigeration is a good example. You take cold stores, distribution centers, you know, even HVAC load in, in, in commercial buildings then there's the opportunity within that load depending on the kind of temperature settings to to maybe grab half an hour or an hour turn that system down or even turn parts of the system off Um, still maintain temperatures at an acceptable level but sell that reduction in in demand load back into the markets or avoid a high price point so um, yeah that's what we do and we, we, we spend probably the majority of our time is spent on an engineering basis talking to production managers engineering managers and understanding what they can turn down and what the marginal cost of that interruption might
0: be. Yeah. I hear you on, I mean, on the cost of energy, you said yours went up to 19 cents. <laughs> yeah. Mine went from six to 19, this last renewal. So it's, it's a big <laughs> uptick that I know it is, it is, it is, you know, a lot of people are dealing with it. So I, I would have to imagine that you're getting a big growth spurt because a lot of people are focused on it. Mean, you've got the inflationary environment right now. There's uncertainty yeah. around energy costs and so commercial and industrial Clients are looking at ways to save money, and so I, I would imagine that you're getting a lot of inquiries for your services to see where they can help save, given the the high cost of energy, but also the uncertainty going forward.
1: No, absolutely. Um, you know, Texas is a good example of that. You know, when we arrived in 2020, it was it was quite difficult to to, to engage people in why they needed to change. Most people didn't. Really know what Urca did. There was a lot of demand response provision, obviously, and has been for many years. But on a pricing side, prices were low. People were in fixed price seven-year, five-year contracts, didn't, didn't see really much of a reason to change. But but URI last year changed all of that. And 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 suddenly people started to see that that they they needed to do something different, even if it was just from a resiliency perspective. And then post yuri we've seen the impact of, of 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 land wars in in in. In Europe and other factors in the kind of oil and gas marketplace that have started to drive those prices really high. So that combination of, of Uri and, and those increasing prices has really driven the INC base towards what we do. Um and an understanding that you can no longer just be passive in the energy market and, and expect the I come from a generation, you come from a generation where we've kind of taken energy for granted, right? It's bountiful, it's cheap, it's plentiful. We don't really worry about when we turn the lights off. Obviously, we chase the kids around and tell them to turn the lights off in rooms, but it's not really much of an impact, right? It's not life or death. It's kind of it's 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 what we do. But what we're moving now, my firm personal view is we're moving into we're moving into a world where we just can't take energy for granted. We just can't see energy as a passive thing that just happens to us. You know, we we do what we do, and then we pay the bill at the end of the month, and we move on. The energy markets of the, of the future are ones where we're going to have to participate. We're going to have to be proactive. We're going to have to make decisions about what we want to do with energy, where we want to buy it from, when we want to use it how much we want to use, whether we want to generate it ourselves, all of these things will become much more prevalent. Maybe it's not our kids, but certainly our kids' kids are going to have a very different relationship with the uh, with the energy sector. And, and that's what we're seeing the beginnings of now in the INC customer base is that now they realize that they have to do something.
0: You're going to have to see down this path a lot more individual contribution to the whole energy transition. It sounds like, you know, for the most part, people are on board with it. Again, it gets down to cost. A lot of aspects to it. And as the the costs continue to reduce in the future, that'll be helpful. But I mean, have you seen any of your clients come to you and say, look, what I want is I want 100% renewable, but I want you to help me manage the cost to be the lowest cost possible with 100% source from renewable sources? Yeah,
1: definitely. Um, and you know, even in Texas, some of the and you know, even in kind of like steel industry in Texas, we're seeing clients who are making those kind of demands. So they're going, they're going out for contracts, and they're they're demanding 100% renewable. They they often want the majority of that to be offsite, so that you know they don't have to invest in 100 megawatts of solar and, and around the factory. So now we're seeing much much more of that um, in industries that you wouldn't expect it and. We're seeing those kind of demands being placed on retailers, like you said, where they want that PPA arrangement, where they're taking direct, and, and I guess greenwashing is a big thing here, right? Where they, they just sign up to a green tariff and nobody really knows where that power comes from. It just happens the retailer's got some solar energy and tells everybody that's what they're buying. No no retailer's named. But in terms of, um, in terms of where the markets are going, we're seeing those customers demanding that they see where that energy is is physically sourced from, that they have a direct relationship with the solar array, with this, with the solar facility, uh, and that they're taking that. And obviously, they don't want that at, at, at thirty three dollars a megawatt hour right, which is kind of below where the market rate is for general energy. So, no, we're seeing much much more of it, and it's placing real pressure on the retailers um, and 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 the suppliers in terms of how they how they structure. Um, you know to, to generation for, for those that own generation fleets but how they structure those deals and and, and that's good I think for the marketplaces that those very large users are are, are making suppliers for perhaps the first time for many of them get really creative in how they structure those deals
0: and it's interesting that you mentioned steel because there's a lot more focus these days not just on scope one emissions but yeah. scope two and scope three so when you're yeah. going down the line people want to say yeah, I, I've got a product and it is 100 percent green. Because they're having to look farther, farther down the chain, and so you see those companies now saying, "Hey, I want to be part of that, and I want to have the renewable energy that's helping to manufacture, you know, my my supply chain piece, if you will."
1: Yeah, and I think you know that that probably started in the grocery sector. We saw those big kind of grocery retailers that would go all the way down their supply chain in terms of those green messages, you know, right down to producers, um, you know, and distribution networks, and logistics firms, etc. So. that's been going on for probably 10 years in terms of those big ticket grocery chains pushing that message down but we are starting to see that come into sectors and sectors that you maybe wouldn't really associate with huge sustainability like steel Um, but a lot of that comes from from kind of the construction sector you know those consumer facing construction sectors or even the corporate construction where you know concrete steel uh, the kind of offering into to those kind of organizations and, and they're placing increasing demands on them and that's, you know, right down into kind of scope three um, supply chain.
0: The Interchange is brought to you by Schneider Electric. Are you looking for more energy control, but worry about the upfront costs of a microgrid and renewables? We have you covered. Schneider Electric offers energy as a service for customers like you who spend $40,000 or more each month on energy. With energy as a service, you get customized solutions to help you meet goals for sustainability, efficiency, and cost control, including a microgrid and adjacent energy infrastructure. We also handle every step of the process and assume financial and operational risks. Upgraded electrical equipment, reduced emissions, predictable long-term pricing. Energy as a Service provides all of this and more. Visit wwwsecom backslash US backslash E-A-A-S to find out if Energy as a Service is right for you. In the regions that you operate, I mean, aside from the obvious, do you see any areas that are much more, I guess, advanced? on getting renewables onto the grid so there's a lot more renewable assets that are continuing to expand on the grid in those areas
1: absolutely so we see lots of commonality across markets they're, they're all kind of moving in the same direction they're moving at slightly different speeds and they there and they may be doing things in slightly different order but they've all got the same direction of traffic the uk was one of the first markets to really push renewables it, it probably oh well it did over subsidise solar back in the day you know going back probably over 10 years now we saw proliferation of, of residential rooftop solar and then commercial solar, ground mount solar, rooftop solar really started to take off. For an island network like the UK, that created significant issues in in, in, in managing grid frequency. The UK is a 50 hertz network, but keeping grid frequency at 50 hertz became ever more difficult. And, and that's kind of when the, the system is in equilibrium. So UK did that. Ireland, Ireland was was perhaps more conservative in what it did. Maybe it took two or three years to kind of think about what it wanted to do and, and kind of where it wanted to go. But has since accelerated. And Ireland has a huge amount of wind renewables on the system. If you look at markets in the US, like California, for example, very policy driven, very top down, subsidised, incentivized, a little bit like the UK. And we see the problems that that causes in, in perhaps accelerating too fast. But ERCOT's a fascinating market you know, where I live. In, in, in that in you look at what's happened with with. You know, there's more wind in Texas than any other state in the U.S. Right, and it's it's a it's a very open and 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 kind of exposed and there are obviously policy driven and and, and tax subsidies etc. But but there has been no huge incentivization for people just to come and build wind in Texas. But it's happened, right? There are economics that make it stack up. So we see, we see that around the world. The reason we're in Japan is another island system. It's two systems, one split, half the island 50 hertz and half the island 60 hertz just to make it even more difficult for them to manage the system. But they're an island network and they again, proliferation of renewables has caused them you know, to, to, to have to do something in this space. And then um, Australia is the other market that we're in. And that's exactly the same reason. It's It's got huge amounts of solar and now battery storage going onto the system. The networks that we have today and in all of these markets and, and most developed countries wasn't built to manage that kind of system, wasn't built to manage that decentralized, highly intermittent renewable energy system. It was built 100 years ago, 120 years ago on the back of post-industrial revolution, building out huge thermal power plants coal oil and then natural gas and kind of distributing that power over huge distances through transmission that system is very different from the system that's required to manage you know if you, you imagine in the uk managing 30 very large coal or, or gas or oil fired power plants to now suddenly managing tens of thousands of really quite small distributed systems that produce a very different profile of power that's a huge problem for the grid operators and the system operators, and that's what they're wrestling with. And that requires a, a, a very different way of thinking.
0: Would you say that's kind of the biggest challenge that you see as it relates to the grid and the energy transition?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So if, if I'm an energy geek, right? I've been in this marketplace since 1995. Sort of deregulation of the markets for, for for gas and then power in the UK. But but I find it fascinating in that you know we are. For 100, 120 years, nothing much has happened in energy, right? It's, it's been a slow transition. We've kind of lots of, as I said, very plentiful, generally quite cheap in most parts of the world. We're now at the cusp of probably the biggest change in that 120 years. So this generation, where we are now, David, is, is kind of wrestling with what is a really meaty problem. System operators, ISOs, RTOs, they have to work out how they're going to be able to manage a network in that kind of energy transition without Literally billions and billions and billions of dollars being passed down to consumers like you and I and everybody else to kind of pay for radical changes to, to the transmission and distribution networks. Utilities, retailers have to work out how they're going to manage customer supply, residential or, or industrial commercial in a kind of rapidly changing marketplace and how they keep costs at an acceptable level the number of utilities in the states at the moment that are that are putting rate cases through to the regulator for significant increases, the type of increases that we've seen in Texas. You know, for the first time in many years that, that those kind of increases have gone through to the regulators. And obviously the regulators, consumer champions are kind of questioning, well, what else can you do? Why, why do we need to put prices up so high? So they're having to come up with ideas. So yeah, it's huge change, huge challenges and and every single person in that in that energy sector, in that energy kind of infrastructure. Is, is, is feeling that challenge. And I find it fascinating because, right, we've got to come up with the answers and we've got to come up with something that that keeps the lights on and, and doesn't mean to say that we have to take out another mortgage to pay our bill every year.
0: Yeah, and, and hopefully it does come down because I, I signed an 18-month contract on that because <laughs> I didn't want to go too long because I had hoped that it was going to come down, but I didn't want to go too short because I figured it, it, it could be worse in a little bit before it gets yeah. better. So I, I kind of went in the middle with 18 months and we'll see how it pans out. I did exactly the same thing. So, well, we had the same thing. We've had a number of grid enhancing technologies uh, on the show and and talk through, you know, how they're impacting the grid and the energy transition. Are there any that you've seen out there that you think are going to be really impactful or that may be on the horizon? Yeah.
1: So um, I guess the thing about Grid Beyond is is we talk about being kind of asset agnostic and, and that's an important part of us, right? Where we're well positioned and, and we're doing as well as we are because we're kind of in the middle so you know we we're the technology that helps all these assets string together either within a commercial industrial business or from a business to a market operator from a business to a retailer or a utility so we're we're kind of really well positioned in the middle of everything and 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 that's exactly where we want to be but in terms of the technologies that come on you know we we solar wind turbines battery storage but then we look at some really interesting things going on around I guess alternative fuels. So, if you think about the biggest challenge, fate, my, my view, is one of the biggest challenge faces is, is 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 what replaces or what can start to replace natural gas and coal, and in terms of that kind of inertia, in terms of that high inertia, highly controllable assets on on the system. So, some of those alternative fuels, people talk about hydrogen. Not quite sure um, how and when that that really ever takes off at scale. Some of the biofuel stuff that's going on is really quite interesting. There's a company called Main Spring out of California that we've um, we've we've looked at a few projects with with a linear generator which is 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 multi-fuel so it can take two or three different fuel sources and kind of switch between them that's a really interesting type of technology if you think about the challenge that we've got you know the ability to move from from, from fuel sources without changing technology but generally the next 5 years will be kind of really critical in terms of i guess what comes next after lithium ion which was the the, the last big innovation i guess in terms of in terms of technology so you'll, you'll see battery technology, you'll see solar and, and wind technology develop and, and hopefully come down in price even more. My view of, of those kind of next generation of, of kind of fuel types is that they're they're nowhere near commercially scalable yet, uh, and that's just my view. But there are some interesting things coming. We did a we did an RFP for for a large project up in New Jersey. It was a really interesting challenge. They said they wanted they wanted something that could keep their plant running for like three days, but but it was cheap. And, and, and almost zero emissions, right? So you look around, and go, well, that's that's going to be difficult. You either you either have the biggest battery in the world, or or, or, or some kind of combination. And you know they wanted to do it for for for, for low, lowest cost possible, obviously. But when you look around, we did a lot of research, we did a lot of in, you know a lot of questioning with with all these different technologies, and none of them were at the stage where they'd be ready, you know, at that kind of scale. It was a 20, 30 megawatt opportunity um, within the next two years. So that kind of sums things up, I think we're in a little bit of a lull with in terms of we've got what we've got in terms of new technology and i don't see i don't see too much which is scalable and that's nothing against the guys that have been on your show before but at but at the inc scale i'm not seeing anything that's kind of the next cab off the rank that's going that's going to save the market right?
0: switching over to to policy uh, what are you seeing being done from a regulatory standpoint that is helpful maybe things that that should be done and actually areas where they're doing it right to help enhance what's going on with the grid, but also more renewables on the grid and the cost of that energy.
1: That's a really good question. So I think there are more examples of where it's gone wrong, right, Rather than the way it's gone right. in terms of policy. So thank you for thank you for that question. Um, I'll point out some of the conversations we're having with with the utilities. So we, we spend I spend a lot of my time personally now talking to, to the kind of utilities, both in the, the deregulated and the regulated space, in that kind of. Midwest region. So if you if you, you kind of draw up through Texas, you know, Oklahoma into, into the kind of Midwest states and all the way up through into Michigan and, and even even into, into some of the kind of local utilities in Ontario, there's some really quite innovative things that they're coming up with. They're, they're approaching it in a way that they're starting with their particular problems and then working out what policies and 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 programs they need to put in place to solve those particular problems. So from my from my respect from how i view things they're coming at it from the right angle right they're coming at it for for what they need and i think those kind of those local programs those local um objectives in, in terms of what they really need on their part of the system is perhaps where i see the the, the most innovation and, and and the most kind of application of rather than a you know a, a, a statewide or even a federal policy on energy which is just blanket right doesn't it, it doesn't work everywhere then i then i think that's that is perhaps where I've seen, seen seen most at a kind of utility level, rather than at a state or a, or a federal level. I do agree with parts of the the Biden Green Deal and, and some of the things they're trying to do on maybe you know um, transport infrastructure and technology. I think there's some ways that we can really help you know school bus fleets things like that save save money and 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 kind of be greener as well. So I am I'm not supportive of all of that initiative, but I, but I do think there are parts of that which are positive, um, and which can have a, a positive impact. But yeah, unfortunately, um, and listen, it's a difficult problem to solve, right? It's, it's kind of, if you're a system operator and you're looking at, at the transition that we're going through and, 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 and just the number of stakeholders that you know, either want vested interest in, in the status quo or are really trying to push change very hard, they've got a difficult job. But unfortunately, as I say, there are more instances where policy is a, is a sledgehammer to crack a nut. It kind of oversubsidizes or overemphasizes one particular technology over another. It's, it's, it's the equivalent of, of of driving your car down the road and kind of turning the wheel every time you hit the curb, right, And in, in terms of lurching from side to side. And and, and that, unfortunately, I think is, is what most of the policy in, in, interventions we see, and not just in the U.S., around the world.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, get broad federal support incentives for the initiatives, but kind of leave the decision-making and the ingenuity down to the local levels because they know what they're going to need and how best to approach it. And they can actually be more nimble. And also, like you said, support for one technology may be great in some areas, but it, not, it may not be the best solution in others. Yeah, it just creates more problems than it solves. And I
1: think you're right. I think policy should be a framework, right? It should be, it should be the structure underneath which you can make decisions to do what you need to do. It shouldn't, it shouldn't prescribe that you're, you're going to go and put a, a gigawatt of solar in a, in a, in a marketplace that's not going to benefit from a gigawatt of solar. That's just
0: my view. Any other areas that you think should be addressed uh, by that? I mean, maybe some of the things that weren't in the recent IRA that maybe should have been or you would hope to see in the future? I think some
1: of the lessons that we learned in in the European markets before I came over here were around the types of programs and services that are required and making sure that they're kind of all-inclusive, making sure that everybody can play, whether that's a capacity market program and making sure the rules are set so it's a level playing field, um, or whether that's a, a kind of reserve or regulation service um, and, and making sure there's equal opportunity regardless of the kind of assets you've got. So being, I guess if I in, in Grid Beyond, if I'm a little bit selfish, I would have liked to see more which was around opening those markets to, 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 to equal access. It doesn't matter if you've got a gas generator or you've got a flexible load in refrigeration or you've got a bunch of HVAC load in the school district or, or you've got a battery storage asset. What we should have is a marketplace that's open for everybody to participate. Um, and I don't think we've pushed that hard enough for 22, 22 was a good start, right. In terms of forcing those kind of deregulated markets to open up to all. But I think what we've seen is, is that's where innovation happens. Once you start to make markets easier to access, you start to not relax the rules in terms of making sure people are doing what they need to do, but make them more accessible to different types of assets. Then that starts to really kind of accelerate the the, 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 the participation. Uh, and I'd like to have seen more that that did that. You know, even for twenty two twenty two, we've seen we've seen one of the ISOs kind of push out any changes to twenty thirty. It's eight years away, right? It's kind of there's no reason why you need to wait eight years to put up a marketplace to distribute resources. So for me, the strength of the energy sector is in the assets that are that are already there, as well as the new ones that are coming on, or encouraging people to. to to invest in new assets whether they put gas plants and gas peaking plants in there whether they put battery storage renewables whatever it happens to be it should be the best thing for their business but then for those assets to be able to access the markets and kind of monetize and 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 kind of pay for themselves and participate right i'd like to have seen more which was about encouraging that kind of participation
0: how was grid beyond originally capitalized and i mean how have you seen the financing markets as you look to continue expansion
1: yeah, really good question so we were we capitalized early in ireland uh, by um, a private net worth individuals angel investors who kind of saw us through until we went through our, our series a funding in 2016. so we spent a lot of our kind of early days with with those backers we did have uh, a small venture capital firm in, in ireland that were involved as well 2016 was our series a fundraising and that attracted esb who were the um irish utility the main irish utility um and that was a that was a, a, a four million euro round, um, six billion in total, actually four million from ESP. So that was our first Series A. Um, series B, we went through in 2020, back end of 2019. And that was focused on kind of starting operations here in the US um, and, and looking at those kind of um, Asian markets and, 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 and Australasian markets. So Series B attracted um, um, EDP, which is the Energies de Portugal, so the, the, the big Portuguese um, renewables company. And um Total Um New Energy Ventures, which is the, 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 the venture capital arm of Total. We are fortunate in a way, I guess, in that we're backed um strategically by some very, very large multinational um utilities and, and, and energy energy companies. So that's that's seen us through. We closed a round last year. Uh, we raised a 10 million round with a with a Dutch um financier for for our um battery storage offering to industrial commercial customers, so putting batteries into factories and manufacturing plants, battery storage. So um, we've got um, we've got that fund which um, which is now active and, and being spent in, in Ireland and in the UK. We're just about to close our Series C funding. So two years off from the last one, and that's a, a 25 million euro round, which will close before the end of this year. We just raised the debt funding facility of 6 million from a, 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 another European funding house. So we've been able to raise money from multiple different sources. Um, not all of it has been equity or diluting. We've been able to raise debt funding as well. We've been able to raise asset funding, so we've been quite fortunate. And we've seen that you know what we do in the space we're in um, is is incredibly attractive to a, to a number of different types of investors.
0: Yeah, some strong partnerships there. Have you seen a lot of interest in the battery side of the business? In the battery storage side, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So we've um, we've grown from about fifty megawatts to two hundred megawatts since the summer. In terms of managed contracted batteries under management the majority of that is as um utility scale batteries so directly connected batteries and transmission or sometimes distribution but many transmission networks so we've seen we've seen a, a kind of anecdotally so we signed back in 2017 we signed a 29 megawatt um, battery storage um, facility and at the time that was amazing that was huge right that was kind of it was the biggest single asset that we'd signed up and and you know, it was a bunch of battery modules in the field, but it was it was it was huge in terms of an asset. Um, nowadays, that would be considered small to medium um, in terms of what sizing it. We're now seeing you know 100, 200 megawatt arrays, four or 500 megawatt arrays in, in 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 the US, and you know similarly in Australia. What we're seeing is 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 that front of the meter, that utility scale battery space, really starting to open up. You look at the I think we're up, we're up to nearly a 60 gigawatt queue in Texas in ERCOP for battery storage. Um, California, obviously one of the biggest battery markets in the world. So you no, know, we've, we've seen a, a huge proliferations in, 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 battery storage in, in virtually all the markets that we enter. And that's the other commonality in the markets that we're in They've they've got a huge demand for, for battery storage behind the meter, um, slightly more difficult in terms of, um, there's there's a double impact of that in terms of what the utility space for batteries does to, to the kind of behind the meter business case, but it works, it works really well for. For, for those for those facilities that have got kind of short-term resiliency needs or want to avoid coincidental peaks you know transmission peak costs those kind of things so um so yeah we've we've done really well in that kind of behind the meter space but the scale is coming from those very very large front of the meter operations
0: how are you finding the cost of batteries and their trend the, the, the trend was obviously off a cliff for, for for a
1: considerable period of time we saw, we saw the costs um decline 40 60 percent in in very short shrift. They kind of level off a little bit now, but we are seeing seeing a kind of they're comparable with gas generation, and, and certainly in a kind of industrial commercial scale behind the meter. So we're seeing an almost parity with with a kind of natural gas installation with a with a battery storage installation. Now they are very different assets. And uh, you know, if you want to be in the middle of Texas and you want to have power for three days during a winter storm, you're not going to put a battery storage asset in, right? But if you want to use it to avoid four C P and participate in the regulation markets and, and earn some revenue in Texas, then batteries are a good asset. So um, horses for courses, they don't work everywhere, um, but we, we, we've, seen, we've seen those costs coming down. Most of the batteries in the market are coming from China, but right? that's, just, that's just where they are. That's just where the, where the, where the costs are the, the lowest. Um, and we're, we're kind of seeing the batteries start to become more commoditized. So rather than kind of turnkey battery solutions with control systems, EMS, and everything kind of in a box, like a Tesla system, we are seeing more and more where people are buying kind of modules, inverters, and and kind of building the system themselves on the ground to keep costs low.
0: Talk a little bit more specifically about Texas, uh, just given all the things that have been going on over the past couple of years. When you look at that market, what do you think are some of the things that should be done in the near term to really help the overall grid efficiency, energy costs, just the overall sector?
1: First and foremost, we've got to have generation that works when it gets cold, right? So that's that's <laughs> simple. Let's let's make sure that, that whether it's renewable wind turbines or whether it's whether it's gas plants, let's make sure they work when let's it get, gets cold.
0: Let's check that box.
1: <laughs> let's, let's, just, let's just take that box. All right. When it gets cold, it's not the whole state doesn't shut down. So I think weatherization is really critical here, right? And 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 I know there's a cost of that, and you know, ultimately we're all gonna bear the cost of that, but it needs to get done. Um what we're seeing with ERCOT and, and the the number of change requests that are coming through is that they are they are taking the the, the the problem seriously. They are looking at what they need to do. We probably need to avoid fads like seeing you know a particular industry being the solution to all our problems and just attracting different types of assets. And I think I think there's a mix. So I think we need to we need to make sure that the markets are accessible to, to distributed generation. Look at the amount of distributed gas assets that we've got in Texas. We've probably got as many as as, as any state in the U.S. Right in terms of in terms of natural gas assets on the system let's make sure that we can access those you know we lifted the moratorium on the 1st of january to those distributed resources and and, and we've seen a, a you know an, an upturn in demand for gas assets since uri but but let's let's create a real a real marketplace for those assets where they can participate and, and, and earn revenue um, i think in terms of um, the battery storage marketplace we're seeing a kind of a huge proliferation of 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 utility scale storage coming into the marketplace, which is which is great. It's gonna help us in terms of balancing those solar and, and, and wind assets. But let's let's look at industrial commercial customers and what they might be able to do to 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 put their own assets in. So I think from my perspective, what I'd like to see is 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 rather than a Scale view that ERCOT is taking on, like very very large assets, very very large users, and 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 accommodating them is to is to make sure that we we look after everybody in Texas, and we make sure that there's 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 markets and opportunities that can be accessed for for everybody who's got assets that they want to use in those markets.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of what you said could be applied, you know, really across across the globe.
1: It is, it's in every market, right? You know, and
0: you you see
1: pockets, you know, San Diego Gas and Electric with uh, with a kind of smart thermostat program, that's basically all they do in terms of demand management, but it's enough, right? Um you see other utilities in the Midwest doing similar things. So there are pockets where market access is is more open to 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 some to some sectors than it is to others. And I think if we can find that commonality in all those markets, Texas or, or anywhere else, then it it will benefit all of us.
0: Well, listen, this, this has been a great conversation and I appreciate you coming on. I've really liked learning about Grid Beyond and I know you've been in Texas a while and we were talking earlier and you said you had your Matthew McConaughey. I don't know if you wanted to wanted to try it now or... Oh, 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 oh,
1: sorry, the line's really bad, David. I'm losing you. What did you say? I lost I lost my headphones to playing.
0: Well, I'd like to have you on again just to see how, how you progress on everything and so maybe that'll give you time to work on it.
1: I'll t- tell you what i do I'll go away and I'll practice it David get me back in a couple of months and I'll do you an alright 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 without the English accent okay
0: yeah we'll do that like I said everybody in Texas has their own Matthew McConaughey so maybe we'll compare we'll, we'll compare them and
1: I'll, and I'll try and start, I'll try and get a yaw which doesn't sound right with an English accent at all so um, I'll work
0: on that one for you too <laughs> yeah not at all you're right
1: <laughs> all. exactly which is why I don't use it so there you go I'll give you that one for free
0: <laughs> well thanks again for uh, coming on the podcast I really appreciate it and it was a pleasure talking with you
1: no, great to talk to you, and uh, yeah, hopefully we'll catch you in Houston soon, David. Great to talk.